Hey everyone, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And on this podcast, we go in depth with leading experts to understand and improve your health and well being. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Eric Balkavage all about the myths and misconceptions around your thyroid and thyroid testing from a functional medicine perspective. Thyroid is a hot topic, so be prepared to raise your eyebrows and get excited for what you're about to learn. Dr. Balkavage is a chiropractic doctor and board certified in functional medicine. He runs the Rejuvagen Center, where he focuses almost exclusively on thyroid health and chronic disease. In addition to regularly speaking on the topic and with an upcoming thyroid book, he hosts the Thyroid Answers podcast. He has been a friend of mine for many years, so it was an absolute pleasure talking with him today as understanding thyroid physiology and thyroid labs can be really confusing, especially as there are different schools of thought on the matter. So here's a clip from today's conversation. Yeah, so basically we've got this gland, right? That's right in the middle of our kind of throat area, neck area. This is butterfly shaped gland. That's why you see like butterflies. Everybody, somebody asked me, why is everybody, why is thyroid associated with butterflies? So it's right there. It produces a bunch of hormones, but the ones that we're really talking about, we're talking about thyroid physiology are primarily T4, T3, thyroxine, triode, thyronine. And these are molecules that once they're produced by the thyroid gland and primarily T4, they're dumped into the bloodstream and they essentially get moved into tissues and stimulate the metabolism of the body. So if we want to have a higher metabolism, we need more thyroid hormone getting converted in the cells, stimulating the machinery. If we want lower metabolism, we have lower thyroid hormone production. That's just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. And Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Dr. Eric Balkavage, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for inviting me to the show. I'm happy to see you smiling and happy and joyful. It's awesome. Oh my gosh. We've been friends a long time and you are my go-to thyroid person. Everything you write about thyroid, I'm like, take a note on that, write that down, save that post, forward that on. So I'm pretty psyched to have you here. Well, thank you. I appreciate being having the opportunity to be here and being here to chat. Yeah. So today we're going, like I said, all about thyroid. So let's start everybody off kind of on the same playing field. Thyroid's controversial. Thyroid's a hot topic. I read the questions after you make posts. I read the questions that people write. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of confusion out there. So let's just start with the basics. Like where is the thyroid? What does the thyroid do? What are the thyroid hormones? Let's start there. Yeah. So basically we've got this gland, right? That's right in the middle of our kind of throat area, neck area. This is butterfly shaped gland. That's why you see like butterflies. Everybody, somebody asked me, why is everybody, why is thyroid associated with butterflies? So it's right there. It produces a bunch of hormones, 
But the ones that we're really talking about, we're talking about thyroid physiology are primarily T4, T3, Mm -hmm. thyroxine, triode, thyronine. And these are molecules that once they're produced by the thyroid gland and primarily T4, they're dumped into the bloodstream and they essentially get moved into tissues and stimulate the metabolism of the body. So if we want to have a higher metabolism, we need more thyroid hormone getting converted in the cells, stimulating the machinery. If we want lower metabolism, we have lower thyroid hormone production. But overall, it's a circadian rhythm through the day. Mm-hmm. And so there's episodes of high flux and low availability, low production. And then that's one part of thyroid physiology, what the gland produces. And then the other part of thyroid physiology, which very few people I think really talk about well, is what happens once it hits the bloodstream, because all the, the effect of thyroid hormone happens at the cell level, either on the outer surface of the cell or inside the cell. So production is one part. How it works inside mm-hmm. the cells is a different part. It would be like mm-hmm. filling your gas tank is one part. How that gas works in the car is the other part. And both are really important. Man, that's the truth. So let's go back. You said that the thyroid primarily makes T4, but it does make some T3. And then where is T3 predominantly made? Well, this has been controversial, right? <laughs> so for when I was in school and maybe when you were learning this stuff, we learned that the thyroid gland produces primarily T4 and a small amount of T3. And then the liver via an enzyme called deiodinase 1 converts most of the T4 to T3 that's in circulation. And that is not the case today in what's thought and believed. Hmm. Deiodinase 1 does do some contribution to T4 to T3 production, but typically deiodinase 1's primary ligand, the primary thing it wants to work on is reverse T3 to kind of metabolize reverse T3. So it's not the conversion. So where does it mostly come from? Well, most of the T3 comes from the peripheral tissues, bringing T4 in, converting it to T3, using the T3 for a short period of time, and then releasing that T3 back out into the bloodstream to be used by another cell or Mm -hmm. tissue before it gets metabolized. So most of the T3 production occurs in the peripheral cells, not thyroid gland. I think somewhere between five, depending on the size of the person and what's going on, maybe five to 10 micrograms is produced by the thyroid gland in a a homeostatic situation. And maybe 30 to 50 micrograms total is produced by the body. So that means that the other 30 or 40 grams is 25 to 40 grams is produced by the peripheral tissues. And when you say peripheral tissue, you mean, so for people listening who don't know, you're talking like a cell in the ovary or a cell in the testicle or a muscle cell or just a tissue other than the thyroid gland. Yeah. Other than the thyroid gland. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And I think that I'm not blaming allopathic medicine, but I think that's the one part where allopathic medicine really doesn't pay that much attention. Yeah. It's most of the focus is what's, do I have enough T4 in the blood mm-hmm. to stabilize the mm-hmm. TSH at the hypothalamic level, but not really what's happening at the tissue level, peripheral tissue level, I should say. Which is what I love that you educate so well on. And the T3, the free T3 in particular, is really the biggest, most active of the hormones. Yeah. And I think sometimes that there's a misconception there about what T4 is inactive, T3 is active. They're both active hormones. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about the action of thyroid hormone, it can either be genomic, which means, hey, I'm bringing that thyroid hormone inside the cell. It's binding to receptors on the, in the nucleus that change what's happening with genes and getting you can get some that gets to the mitochondria to drive the mitochondrial function. 
And T4 could do that, but it's not, Mm -hmm. that's not the primary driver of thyroid receptor actions. It's much more Mm -hmm. of a T3 driven system. Mm -hmm. And then there's receptors on the outside of a cell that can bind T4 and T3 and do what we call non-genomic actions. Okay. And that's maybe higher level than today's discussion, but both are active, but T3 is the dominant active hormone. And there's even another metabolite of T3 that is an active hormone and that's called T2, but nobody in, <laughs> nobody measures that. Nobody measures it. Yeah, other than research. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And when you say, just for clarification, when you say the active hormone, what you mean just for super simple terms is when a T4 or T3 binds to receptor, it's essentially turning it on like a key in a lock to a sense. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I guess that's another misconception, right? Inside the cell, it's thought that if I have a lot of thyroid hormone, the primary action is it's turning on mm-hmm. some action, right? Binding receptor turns it on, but that's not really the case. Sometimes T3 binds to receptors and turns them on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes T3 binds to receptors and turns a process off. Okay. And that's really important because that helps us better understand why a body might or why a cell or why a tissue may favor a low T3 state. Okay. And so when I try and explain thyroid physiology to patients, I always look at it from a cell level mm-hmm. and I say, hey, listen, cells are like people. They're like you or I. We're either in a low stress state and our primary goal is manufacturing. We're trying to make money, trying to make proteins. We're trying to make enzymes. We're trying to make skin. Just we're trying to make stuff. So in that situation, we want a lot of fuel coming into a cell mm-hmm. and we want to drive that manufacturing process. So therefore, we want a lot of T3 in the cell to turn on the manufacturing process. But that T3 inside the cell also turns off the cell defense, cell inflammation, cell danger mechanisms because we don't need that right now. Right. Hey, low right. stress. I don't need a lot of cops here. Right. I don't need a lot of hassle going on. So we want to turn those processes off But it's different if I'm a cell that's in danger, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm a person who's threatened, then I'm not going to focus a lot of time and attention on making money Mm -hmm. and making stuff. I want to put most of my time and attention towards cell defense. And in that situation, I need a low T3 state to turn off the manufacturing processes or turn them down, I should say. That's more Mm -hmm. appropriate. Mm -hmm. And pull it with that low T3 state, I have less T3 holding on to those receptors that were turning off the immune inflammatory process, cell defense processes. And now those processes could kick in. The problem is it doesn't make us feel good. Right. 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 And so we think there's a problem when oftentimes there's no problem other than the fact that the cells are doing what they're, they're supposed to do to defend themselves. So speaking of problem, like what are some symptoms? What are typical thyroid symptoms? If we stick to hypothyroid or like a low thyroid state, what do you see most often? Lack of energy, tiredness, fatigue, yeah. poor glucose regulation, weight, you'll see weight gain because metabolism slowed down, increased belly fat. Mm-hmm. You start to see problems with GI physiology, low stomach acid, low pancreatic enzyme output, poor motility in the gut, dysbiosis, mm-hmm. lots of kind of just general slowing down, mm-hmm. dry skin, edema, like puffiness and edema in the body. Like, like mm-hmm. I feel puffy, right? Yeah, yeah. You can see thinning hair. You can see all the things that would piss you off when you look (laughs) in the mirror is signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism, right? No libido, like, I don't look good. I don't glow. I always say with the, because, you know, hormones is really what I work on. And I always say when the thyroid slows down, it slows everything down. So if you think of something in the body, yes, it slowed it down. So I love that all the things you just said. 
the gut slows down, digestion slows down, hormone production slows down, your period slows down. Like, all right, all this stuff, your hair growth slows down, skin. And yeah, the way I explain it to my, I like I explain it to my clients is like, look, if you were the Super Bowls this weekend, right? Yeah. So <laughs> if you were cooking, if Carrie Jones was having a big Super Bowl party, <laughs> right? And Eric was sitting right at the kitchen island, you got four burners on, you got wash all over the place because you're trying to do that. You're dusting, you're vacuuming, you're doing all this stuff at the same time. And now somebody comes in and attacks your spouse. Are you going to keep cooking? Of course not. Are you going to take time to turn the burners off and like put everything in nice Tupperware, right? Are you going to try and slow it, slide? Let me just slide one load of wash in, then I'll help (laughs) save you, right? Or let me just get the vacuum done, or let me take a nap, or let me go try and have sex first, then I'll come help you. You're not going to do any of those things because none of them matter in the moment. Instead, you're going to go into defense mode. Right. So we should expect anything that if our cells are operating in this danger mode, defense mode, we should expect every system to be compromised, right? Digestion, sex hormones, sleep. Why can't I sleep at night? Well, shit, if you're running from the proverbial tiger, Mm -hmm. are you going to stop and take a nap? Are you going to stop and have sex? Are you going to stop and have a meal? The answer is no. Right. So that's really important for a lot of people when they think about, well, if I have hypothyroidism, but Maybe my blood sugar problems related to something else. Uh, no, probably not. Maybe my hormone problems related to something else. No, probably not. They're all related to the same right. thing, this excessive danger response. So is this, you talk a lot about cellular hypothyroidism. And since we're talking at the cellular level here, is this what you mean? Yeah. When we think about cells, people talk about thyroid physiology differently. From an allopathic perspective, hypothyroidism occurs when you've lost. of the function of the thyroid gland and your TSH rises above lab range and your free T4 drops below lab range. Mm -hmm. Until that happens, there's not a diagnosable thyroid disorder. To them. Maybe somebody would say you're subclinical, right? To them. But there's nothing they can do. There's nothing Mm -hmm. they're going to treat, right? There's Mm -hmm. arguments, well, when should we actually intervene? But in general, the guidelines say it's not a thyroid problem until you meet these criteria. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, what causes hypothyroid signs and symptoms is what's happening at the tissue level. If I don't have sufficient T3 at the tissue level, I'm going to probably have signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. Which tissues are impacted by that? Whichever tissues are getting the signaling that, hey, there's danger, right? But it doesn't have to mean global or especially early on. It could just be Mm -hmm. an ovary, a uterus, a liver, Mm -hmm. the muscle, right? Whatever tissues. But in time, there then starts to be some extension of this kind of cell stress response that the thyroid gland can actually start to become damaged, something we mm-hmm. call thyroiditis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the thyroid gland does lose 90% of function. And at that point, if there's not enough T4 or T3 in the system, everything right. becomes impacted. But I think what we're missing oftentimes is looking at things earlier right. and trying to identify dysfunction. This is not the, this is not the best wheelhouse for allopathic medicine. They are awesome at, hey, here's the disease. Here's how I'm going to cut it out or treat it and take care of that. But the dysfunctional piece is not their wheelhouse. And that's not, Mm -hmm. there's no problem with that. As long as we realize if that's not their wheelhouse, we don't want them treating and trying to manage symptoms if somebody's got dysfunction, if they're really asking for how do I identify and address the dysfunction. That's our wheelhouse in functional medicine. So instead of giving allopathic medicine a hard time, we should say, hey, Kumbaya, let's all work together. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a role, you have a role, and then we can get help people get better faster. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I totally agree. I love that. 
So I have two more questions before we actually move into the testing part, Mm -hmm. because I know that's the top of everyone's mind. Everyone's gotten a thyroid test, but one is, can you explain what the autoimmune thyroid is? Like what is Hashimoto's? How is that different? Yeah. So, okay. So this is a bit controversial. As you well know, I like to kind of maybe buck the system a little bit. Rock the boat. Yeah. So in thyroid world, there's kind of a couple different things. When we talk about what causes hypothyroidism, one of the things that could be is, hey, I something happened to my thyroid gland, thyroid cancer, and maybe I had another type of autoimmune disorder and somebody damaged the thyroid gland. They radiated it, they cut it out. Mm -hmm. If you take out the gland, that can trigger hypothyroidism because you're not making any. And typically, if that's the only problem with thyroid physiology, you just give thyroid hormone, everything else works, right? Right. You're good. But otherwise, hypothyroidism is caused by some type of thyroiditis, some type of inflammatory damage. There is some discussion, maybe it's low iodine, Mm. maybe it's toxicity, but ultimately, I think it's the vast majority of cases, 90 plus percent of the cases are thought to be caused by thyroiditis. Now, what does that mean? That means the immune system is coming to the thyroid gland and damaging it. Okay. And that itis is inflammation. So I have Mm -hmm. inflammation and damage to my thyroid gland. When I have inflammation and damage to the thyroid gland, it starts to degrade Mm -hmm. how much thyroid hormone can be produced. And the longer that goes on, the more dysfunctional it becomes. Eventually, I can't make enough thyroid hormone and I get diagnosis primary hypothyroidism. Right. It's thought that almost, especially in, in the US, right, that almost all the cases are thyroiditis driven. They're not iodine deficiency driven. And there's this argument, well, you have thyroiditis, but you don't have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And like, it's a big difference. Yeah. I think it's all just semantics, Hmm. if you want my opinion, because what the literature says is that thyroiditis, this inflammation of the gland starts off as what we call a Th1 disorder, which means cells that don't produce antibodies are kind of driving the cell, the damage to the thyroid gland, this inflammatory damage. And it's thought that in time, that this immune-based condition then switches to a either more balanced or Th2-driven disorder, which produces more antibodies. Mm -hmm. And so the issue comes down to, and why that maybe gets so much play and why people such a big deal into it is because when I went to my education, through my educational process, I was kind of taught that these antibodies are like little Pac-Man eating up the thyroid gland, right? I, I'm not sure if that's yep. what you learned. I was taught the same thing. But the literature shows that that's not really the case. The thyroglobulin antibodies create no damage to the thyroid gland. And TPO antibodies, it's thought, create very little, if any, maybe less than 5% of the damage to the thyroid gland. Wow. So we've been spent so much time concerned about the TPO antibodies, like those are the things we need to lower or suppress. And we have this idea that it's the antibodies in the immune system that's totally out of control that's causing the problem. And I, A, I think it's a bad place for people to be. If you think that your immune system is gobbling up your thyroid gland, then you're doomed. How are you ever going to recover this thing, right? Because you have an immune right. system out of control. And it causes people to focus on the wrong thing. Mm. They're focusing on the antibodies. And it's this kind of thing that keeps getting talked about like it's reality. And it's the thing that you need to do. You need to suppress antibodies. You need to lower mm. the antibodies. You need to pound, mm. up, pound the vitamin D to lower the antibodies. Pound things to lower antibody production, suppress the immune system. And I just think it's the wrong strategy because it hasn't really worked well. And the literature seems to show it doesn't work overall. Mm-hmm. So there's some study, people say, hey, this study showed. But when you look at the mass amount of studies on this thing and say, is this the solution just to suppress antibodies? The answer is no. And if we take care of people, we typically see they're a hot mess with thyroiditis 
and they have no antibodies. And then as they're actually getting better and tracking better, you'll actually start to see antibodies pop up and they're like, they freak out. Well, now I have Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. Now I have Hashimoto's. No, now you have a more balanced immune system. Mm -hmm. You always had immune driven thyroiditis, an immune system causing damage to your thyroid gland. It didn't change with or Mm -hmm. without the antibodies. So what do you see as like some big triggers or causes of thyroid issues? Well, I think it's, I always look at it like maybe it's not a problem, but more of a protective mechanism. Okay. Okay. So, and I think that's a good place to start. So a lot of people look at it like, Hey, there's something that's damaging the thyroid gland and that's the problem. And that may be the case, right? You might actually have some immune damage caused by toxins or, or organisms that could actually directly cause damage to the gland. But I think more in line along the lines of it may be part of that whole protective process. If I'm a cell and I want to slow down metabolism, I want to lower my T3 state, right? I want to do that. If I'm one cell, one tissue, I can do that locally. But if I have chronic cell stress response, chronic danger signals going off, and I need to reduce the metabolism globally, what's the easiest way to do it? You turn it off at the source. And so people be like, well, that's nonsense. Why would the body do that? Well, when those cells in danger are in danger, they release particulates out into the bloodstream to activate the immune system to say, hey, this thing, this virus, this organism, bacteria, this is a piece of it. Go look for this thing and find it and get rid of it. The other thing they do is they release what we call DAMPs. Those are called damage-associated molecular proteins. The organisms are called PAMPs or MAMPs. Mm-hmm. And we, if I'm the damaged tissue, I release these damage-associated molecular proteins out into the bloodstream to tell the immune system like, hey, I'm the guy being damaged. Mm -hmm. Come help me, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's great for activating the immune system. We want that to occur. But it's interesting that the thyroid gland cells themselves also have receptors for DAMPs and PAMPs. Mm -hmm. And so when these things are in circulation in the bloodstream, they can bind to the thyroid gland. And when they do bind to the thyroid gland, it initiates self-damage, self-destruction of the thyroid cells themselves. And then the cells send out signals to the immune system to invite the immune cells in. So if that's the case, man, that's a lot of coincidence that happened for no apparent reason. Maybe that's part of the mechanism like, hey, I've got a chronic infection going on here. I've got chronic trauma going on here. I've got something creating chronic cell stress. I need to slow down the metabolism. Let's turn off the source. And to me, that would make a ton of sense. And when you look at areas where there's famine and starvation, you see a higher level of hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. You also have to wonder, huh, maybe if I'm in a starvation mode, I don't have food, maybe having fast metabolism doesn't make a ton of sense. Right. Maybe having this slower metabolism makes sense. And so there, I think there's enough literature and science to kind of show that, hey, this is a potentially a defensive mechanism. Matter of fact, there's papers that say exactly that. Yeah. And That gives hope to a person who gets diagnosed with hypothyroidism just to say, hey, what I really need to do here is find out what's creating this cell stress or cell danger response. And maybe the immune attack on my gland slows down or stops and my gland could actually start to recover. And I've only been doing this for 26 years, but guess what you see after you do this for a decade or so, you see people whose thyroid glands are now able to produce thyroid hormone. There's, you Mm -hmm. see people who are I need less and less medication. You know what? I don't even need medication anymore. How could that be possible? Because when we start to reduce the things that create the cell stress and cell damage to the thyroid gland itself, calm down that immune system, the thyroid gland can start to recover. It takes about five to eight years for a thyroid gland to turn over. And guess what? If the same triggers that damage to begin with aren't there anymore, 
help new, newer, healthier cells can recover. Yeah. It's crazy how that works. I don't know. But yet, typically, right? Typically what happens is this, we now know the cell is in this danger response. It comes with all the symptoms we don't like. So we go to our practitioner, we get lab work done. And this is where I think it's really confusing and overwhelming to a lot of people. So let's talk about lab work because most of the time their insurance or their practitioner is like, well, we're going to run just the main hormone from the brain to the thyroid called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. And if it's quote in range, you're fine. But can you expand on that? Can you really break down thyroid testing to people? Yeah. So people should know that that is TSH with a reflex to free T4 is what Mm -hmm. the medical guidelines instruct a medical doctor endocrinologist to do. Yeah. You could go to your medical doctor, he'll do the test, he'll recommend you to an endocrinologist and then you could go see 10 different endocrinologists, they're gonna do the same two tests. And so you could be frustrated and be like, why wouldn't they run more tests if there's more tests available? Because those are the only two tests to determine when intervention with thyroid medication is recommended. Mm -hmm. And they're the only two tests that are needed to make sure that that treatment provided what the treatment was supposed to. And that was to bring a TSH back into the reference range. That's it. But are there other tests that you can look at to assess thyroid physiology? Absolutely. And they're available (laughs) at every lab. So it's TSH, total T4, which is how much thyroid hormones in the bloodstream, both bound to a a protein molecule and what's free. And free Mm -hmm. hormone is what can get into a cell. Mm -hmm. There's total T3 and free T3. There's reverse T3 which is a deactivated form of T4. So T4, which is the primary hormone the gland makes, Mm -hmm. and we talked about it, once it gets to the cell, the cell can make a determination. Do I want to increase my metabolism? I'm going to convert T4 to T3. Do I want to decrease my metabolism? I'm going to deactivate T4 to reverse T3. Okay, so that becomes important. Then there's T3 uptake, which is kind of a proxy of how much thyroid hormone is stuck on the binding molecule And so that's a little bit more complex to talk about, but it's good for a physician to take a look at that and be able to say, huh, maybe my free hormones are low because Mm -hmm. everything's bound. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. means you're not going to get the benefit of the hormone, even though your total may say you have a lot. And then there is, you got your thyroid antibodies, TSA, TPO antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies, and you have TSI antibodies, which are thyroid TSH antibodies or TSI antibodies, they're thyroid stimulating antibodies. So those are antibodies that combine to the TSH receptors. And we typically associate those with Graves' disease or hyperthyroidism. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever do, did you say TBG? Do you ever do thyroid binding globulin? I don't run it that often. I typically look at T3 uptake as the Mm -hmm. proxy, but occasionally I will run it anyway when things don't seem like they make sense. Okay. And then I should say... That that is not, in my opinion, looking at a thyroid panel by itself mm-hmm. is still not sufficient to assess somebody's thyroid physiology. Yeah. And somebody might say, well, why not? We're just trying to look at the thyroid physiology because you could have normal blood values, but not, but still have hypothyroid or hyperthyroid symptoms because of what's happening inside the cell. Yeah. And so that is not always represented by a thyroid panel. Plus, a thyroid panel can be distorted by the thyroid medications you're taking. So those values are artificial. It could also be distorted by inflammatory markers. It could be distorted by the other types of medications you're taking. So I like to look at the thyroid panel in context with the rest of what we would call a metabolic panel. So I want to look at blood sugar markers because Mm -hmm. I know to get glucose into a cell requires glucose transporters and all of the glucose transporters require a level of T3 in the cell, including the insulin receptors. 
to get cholesterol out of the bloodstream into the liver requires T3 to burn. Triglycerides requires T3 inside the liver. So if I can look at other blood values on a lab panel, then I can determine, is the thyroid hormone working efficiently inside the cell? If the thyroid panel looks normal, but I've got all these markers that indicate that the tissue level is not working well, then I still know I've got a hypothyroid state Mm -hmm. despite artificially maybe normalized blood values. Isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, historically wasn't way back in the day, if you had high cholesterol and testing, they assumed it was a low thyroid because they knew that, I think I had read that in some sort of like history of medicine. (laughs) You're absolutely right. I don't know that you've been wrong yet. But yeah, a matter of fact, it's in a number of the guidelines that as a like a point, like one of the things that happens in hypothyroidism is a rise in cholesterol. Like TSH will drive HMG-CoA reductase, which will cause more cholesterol to be produced. And they talk about elevated cholesterol. One of the primary reasons is a low T3 state yeah. at the liver. Yeah. But then they go on to say in the same guidelines, but we're not going to test it. <laughs> we're not going to okay. recommend it as a test. Like what? What? Why? Listen. And the thing is, is because it's not, I think the big issue is from a medical perspective, we like things simple. Mm-hmm. I give like one diagnosis, one treatment, one measurement to monitor. Did I mm-hmm. normalize the measurement? At one point in time, doctors were actually using T3 and reverse T3 as indicators of whether they were giving too much thyroid hormone. That was my next question. Reverse T3 and T3. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out how to use them because they're thinking about it from a gland-centric perspective, not a tissue perspective. And so they were going like, hey, the more T4 I give and the lower T3 goes, or the lower TSH goes, the lower the T3 goes. Well, that doesn't make sense. So scrap that. We're not looking at T3 anymore. And this reverse T3, we were using that. They were starting trying to use that as the indicator of whether they were giving too much, but when reverse T3 went up, they were like, the person's still hypothyroid. So that we can't use that anymore mm-hmm. because they weren't looking at it from a cell perspective. Like why would a cell not use right. that T4 and convert it to T3? And why is it favoring reverse T3? They just thought it just doesn't make sense. So let's scrap it all together instead of saying, huh, yeah. maybe this will help us understand individualized treatment. Maybe there's something else beyond how much stuff we put into the bloodstream mm-hmm. that's important. Yeah. Speaking of reverse T3, there's some controversy. You hear it sometimes that reverse T3 can bind to receptors mm-hmm. and therefore T3 can't bind to receptors. You and I have talked about this a bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think reverse T3 binds to receptors and keeps T3 off of it? Do you think there's such a thing as adrenal fatigue? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Not in the literal context, the symptoms, yes, but the actual word, no. (laughs) Yeah, so this is like, this is one of my pet peeves. This is one of the things that I think as a community, a functional medicine community, we have to stop saying things that just are scientifically untrue. We're told a couple things. One, that reverse T3 is a mirror image of T3. It is not a mirror image of T3, okay? It's the iodine molecules pulled off a different, there's, we won't get into that, but there is, it is, it's not a mirror image, okay? So the other thing that people need to understand is that reverse T3 has made it really, maybe at the cytoplasm, maybe at at the plasma membrane, but it's not made at the nucleus, which is where these, all these receptors are So it's not being made in the cytoplasm and reverse T3 isn't traveling into the nucleus or into the mitochondria and binding to the receptors. There's no science that shows that, none. Okay. So, but it does it sound good on paper? Like, hey, 
if I make this molecule that deactivate that's deactivated form, it could bind to the same receptor mm -hmm. and stop function. Absolutely, it kind of makes sense. I said that too when I learned it, yeah. but it's not accurate. So what is reverse T? It is reverse T3 is not the problem. You'll hear see people say it, it blocks T3 from working. It doesn't. If you want to blame anything for blocking T3 function, blame the idenase 3. That's the enzyme that determines if I deactivate T3 to T2 or deactivate reverse T4 to reverse T3. Mm -hmm. Blame that. But it, that and that deidenase 3 is the blocking agent, but it's not even like a bad thing. It's the cells saying, hey, slow down metabolism, deactivate it. Yeah. It's all the chronic things that are hitting it, causing it to be, to block. Well, right. That's causing the danger response. Yeah. Whatever the, when the danger response is activated saying, hey, we're going to slow down metabolism. So here comes T4 and I've got an enzyme that can convert the T4 to T3, but hey, I want to slow it down. So I'm getting rid of that deiodinase N2 enzyme. I'm going to make more deiodinase 3. And now I'm going to divert that T4 from T3 production. So there isn't anything there mm -hmm. to bind to the cell. And that reverse T3, it never even gets close to that nucleus. Which is the point, right? Right. The point is to protect you and slow things down. Yeah. So reverse T3 goes back out into the cytoplasm or outside the cell, mm -hmm. right? Outside the cell, intracellular fluids, and it gets bloodstream and then pulled out of the body. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't block T3 function. Now, I should say one part, and this is a little higher level. There are receptors on the outside of the cell that can bind T4 and T3. They're called integrin receptors. And reverse T3 can have a blocking effect there, but that's different than what most people are talking about. Got it. Okay. And can just so we are clarifying, these diiodinase enzymes, we mm -hmm. can't test for them conventionally, can we? No, but that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could know? If you could do that, yeah. Okay. What we're doing is just testing the end product, T3, reverse T3. Yeah. Yeah, we're testing the effect. And, and this is where it gets us in trouble. Because what we say is what some people will do in functional medicine is we'll say, hey, well, you're not converting T4 to T3 very well. So you're a non-converter. Your enzyme must not work appropriately. Or you have a genetic polymorphism of the enzyme deiodinase 2, and that's why you can't convert. Well, there is a polymorphism of that deiodinase 2 enzyme. If that was the major issue, though, they'd be neurologic, they'd have neurodevelopmental disorders probably, right? Hmm. Now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just got into this argument last week with somebody and they're like, well, they're, I'm a non-converter, everybody's non-converter. I'm like, is it the gene itself that you think is the problem? Yes, okay. Then if it's the gene, that's dysfunctional. Typically when we see that as the major problem, there's neurodevelopmental disorders. Do you have neurodevelopmental disorders? No, okay. So then could it be something else that's influencing that? Ugh. Yeah, that's epigenetics. Obviously, that's what's happening. Okay, then if that it's epigenetic, then why don't we focus on what's causing the gene to turn off mm -hmm. the or turn down the deiodinase 2, which is inflammatory mechanisms, excessive leptin, mm -hmm. uh, low TSH. And instead, instead of just loading somebody, calling somebody a non-converter and loading them with T3, mm -hmm. that's, that's still allopathic medicine. It's just a different drug. Right. And we still haven't fixed the underlying issue, which is why did my cells that were supposed to do the conversion not do the conversion, right? <laughs> why, why, why did my cells, why are we in a danger response? Right. Which I think is the beauty of functional medicine because we take the time often to figure out what is causing the danger response. Hopefully, hopefully we are. I think what's happened is, and this is good for good or bad, we've brought a lot of people from an allopathic mindset yeah. to functional medicine 
but we haven't changed their mindset. We've just changed their tool. Yeah. And so instead of they're going, hey, that drug is bad. So I'm going to use a different drug and that's better. Or instead of one medication, I'm going to give six supplements to do Mm -hmm. the same thing. And that's better because it's natural. And to me, that's bull. Mm -hmm. That's still the same philosophy. You're just using different stuff. That's greenwashing, right? Right. That's all that really is. What we, I would rather have a, if I need immediate action occur, I would, I'd rather have the thing that works better, faster, quicker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We all would. Yeah. Not set, if you replace two meds for 17 supplements you got to take on a regular basis, I don't know that that's better for the client or for the person. Yeah. So I, what I want to see is more functional medicine philosophy mm-hmm. in functional medicine, but it just to me take time. So I was going to say, speaking of medication supplement, I want to wrap up by finishing on that. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your thoughts? Like, what is iodine? Everyone, every thyroid supplement has iodine in it. Everybody thinks... Oh, I I know I have a thyroid problem. I check all the symptoms on the questionnaire. I'll just start popping iodine, see if I get better. And then I want to, you know, sort of really end on the medications. But let's start with iodine. Yeah. Well, if you know, you know this, that there's two camps, right? Yeah. The one camp is everybody needs iodine. The other camp is nobody needs iodine, right? And so, (laughs) yep. (laughs) It's like Hmm. where we are in politics right now. You've got the fringe left and the fringe right. And the reality is it's somewhere in between. Yeah. We need a mild to moderate amount of iodine. Most of us probably get a sufficient level in our diets and we don't have to go out of our way. What's the downside? Iodine is critically important, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that's really important is one of the systems in the body that's does a big job of scavenging iodine. And maybe this is a reason for deactivation of thyroid hormone is the immune cells. The immune cells actually use iodine as part of their defensive mechanism to kill organisms. And so maybe what we see is this beautiful thing in physiology, instead of using a lot of iodine to make thyroid hormone, the body is saying, hey, let's scavenge that iodine and use it to kill these organisms first. Mm -hmm. So I don't get too hung up. We don't have great iodine testing that everybody agrees on. And so there's lots of arguments about that. So I don't get too caught up in having anybody take... I don't like people overdosing with iodine for sure. I don't get too focused on people focusing on a micronutrient like iodine. Like, hey, look, we're going to keep iodine low. Use, don't go out of your way to, to get it, mm-hmm. but we're also not going to be like, hey, every scrap of iodine has to be out of your system, especially if you have TPO antibodies. I don't think either one of those things does as much benefit. I, in 20 years, I've put so little time into trying to manipulate iodine and it's still been successful. Right. But I am also that way with other nutrients when you hear people like, well, you need selenium for a good right. iodine function. Tyrosine. Yeah, you need tyrosine, right? And there aren't good studies general, like there's individual studies that say selenium helps. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the bulk of the studies, there's really no benefit. When it comes to tyrosine, people, there is some correlation that we see low tyrosine in some people with chronic illness and hypothyroid conditions. And you start to say, oh, okay, well then we just need to give them more tyrosine or no, maybe we don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe the tyrosine is being diverted. Maybe the iodine is being diverted from a system that we don't need right now, high, high thyroid production to systems that do need it. Like, hey, I need to make a lot of catecholamines because I am under stress. (laughs) So I am taking tyrosine away from the thyroid gland that doesn't need it right now to make more fight or flight hormones. And to me, I think when we start to look at things from that perspective, instead of trying to macro force a whole bunch of individual ingredients that should make the system work better, we have to ask a better question like, where is the stuff maybe 
where's it going instead? Yeah. Or because maybe the thing that looks deficient in one view isn't really deficient at all. It's just being used somewhere else. Yeah. And so I don't get too caught up in any of those things. I know everybody likes to have their, I have a thyroid support formula that's tyrosine and iodine. That's great. Yeah. But I don't know. I've used those and I don't know that until somebody is, I really don't use them if I'm honest. I really don't don't use them. (laughs) No, I appreciate the honesty. Because I think if you fix the gut and you have a better diet, you have better nutrition, you reduce excessive cell stress response, guess what? A good diet, good nutrition is going to do way more than that magic supplement than somebody provided you for thyroid. Right. So what about medication? This is the question I get asked all the time and I don't even do a lot of thyroid, but Carrie, what's the best thyroid medication? Or I'm on this particular medication. Is that a good one? Should I stay on medication? Or I went on medication. I have to increase my medication because none of my symptoms have gone away. Or they went away for three weeks and now they're all back. So let's talk medication, yeah. which I know is a big can of worms. It's a huge can of worms. But we'll try to keep it succinct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How much time have I got to answer the question? I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this is super controversial. And I'm probably... I probably have a whole bunch of people that don't like me because there's a couple different camps, right? Okay. The allopathic camp is traditionally a T4 only camp. And the thought process is there's really no difference between Synthroid and generic, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's the T4 camp. So in that yep. model, the only thing you need is T4. And you could ask, well, how do you know? Because that's the only thing we check. Right, right. What gets measured gets managed. So <laughs> right. there you go, Right. Well, what about T3? Don't measure it. Doesn't become a problem, right? What about reverse T3? Mm -hmm. Don't measure it. Doesn't become a problem. So in that model, it's T4 and you provide, your medical doctor has been trained to provide enough T4 to bring TSH back into a reference range. And what that reference range is really depends on your situation, your doctor Mm -hmm. and your condition. Mm -hmm. If you're a person who's had thyroid cancer, they're going to want to suppress TSH really, really low because they don't want any possibility of new growth occurring at thyroid gland because then there's the possibility of new cancer production. And so they'll only they'll want to suppress TSH as low as possible. And they're really not that concerned about T4, free T4 at that level. They'll just try and keep TSH really low. Right. The problem with that is, is that one of the big drivers of the conversion of T4 to T3 inside a cell is TSH. TSH, as it goes up, increases the conversion of T4 to T3 in cells. And when TSH is really low, essentially, Mm -hmm. there's not much TSH to go out into the bloodstream and help those cells and tissues activate the converting enzyme. So it's not unusual for a person to be overdosed, high-dosed on T4 medication, I'm going to say hyper-overdosed, have a really low TSH and still struggle with chronic hypothyroid symptoms because they're not converting at tissue level. Right. So then that leads somebody to go to maybe an integrative physician who does (laughs) T4 and T3. And that person will say, hey, your silly doctor doesn't realize that the thyroid gland makes both T4 and T3 and you have damaged your thyroid gland, so you're not going to make sufficient levels of T3. So we're going to provide T4 and T3. And oh, by the way, we looked at your blood levels and your T3 levels were low. So this justifies it. So now right. they're going to use a T4, T3 combination, whether it's armor, MP thyroid, whatever right. is out there. And they're going to say it's a combination. Synthroid and T3. A combination. Yeah. yeah. They may use a T4 and a T3. And their goal is to normalize those values. So that's usually somebody who's more integrative, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, that may work or it may not work. And then, then there's another camp that says, hey, screw this whole two T4 thing. We're just doing high dose T3 because these people can't convert T4 to T3. So if we just do really high doses of T3, 
Who cares what TSH is? Mm-hmm. We're going to provide the end product and life is going to be good. And I think for some people that works, but I think mm-hmm. I've seen just way too many people that it does not work, that they become Same. more hyperthyroid. They're still hypothyroid, but their brain's a freaking mess. They're anxious. They have anxiety. They have histamine issues. And they're just like, I can't focus and I can't sleep. And I can't, I'm like, right. <laughs> because you, you've got so much thyroid hormone impacting the brain. And I think that's one of the things that people need to understand. Your brain yep. and your body regulate thyroid hormone a bit differently. And that's a whole nother podcast to discuss. But yeah. what's the right medication? If you're taking T4 only and you feel mm-hmm. awesome and your signs and symptoms are gone and your labs look great, both the thyroid panel and the rest of the stuff looks great, it's probably the right med. Yeah. If you're taking a T4, T3 combination and every, all your symptoms are gone and you feel great and your labs look great, all of your labs, it's probably the right one. If you're on high dose T3 only and you feel awesome, it's probably right for you. Yeah. But if you don't feel well and you've tried T4 and you've tried T4, T3 and you've tried T3 only and you don't feel well and you were coming to me, then my recommendation would be to my clients and I don't prescribe. So I send them back to their physicians to say, hey, look, we want the smallest dose of T4 that we can get Mm -hmm. that kind of gets a sufficient level of T4 in the system Mm -hmm. that the body can then convert. And then we can focus on fixing what's causing the lack of conversion, what's causing the cell danger response, what's causing the thyroiditis. And as we start to work on that, then we can monitor their thyroid panel and their rest of their panel to say, hey, look, we're getting better conversion. Now you need a lower dose. Hey, we're getting better conversion. We're getting better tissue response. We need a lower dose, lower dose, lower dose. And what I see over time is for most people, the T4 is probably the safest place to be if they're working with physician to get them functionally well. Right. And there's a very small, very small fragment of people that I've found that can't compensate. If they've had destruction of the gland that really do need some T3, but I don't think mm-hmm. that's the place to start in most, of, in my opinion. Okay. That was a good quick summary. I appreciate that because yeah. I know that is a hot mm-hmm. topic for sure. Yeah. All right. Final question as we wrap this up. As it relates to thyroid hormone, thyroid testing, thyroid physiology, what's like the leading or leaving impression that you want listeners to understand? What's your practical, tactical root cause? Hey, look, the one thing I want you to know, take away from this podcast about the thyroid is what? Yeah. Thyroid physiology is about what's happening at the tissue. Okay, It's not about the gland because you can always substitute. I can take out your gland and give you thyroid hormone. But if you don't, If it's not working efficiently at the tissue, Mm -hmm. you can still have signs and symptoms. You can still feel lousy and nobody else except functional medicine practitioners are really paying attention to that part of it. So be an advocate for yourself. If you don't feel well, you still have hypothyroid symptoms and you've been told you're fine. You've looked for functional medicine practitioner who kind of who works in this kind of model and take action, right? Because there's something wrong if you're still symptomatic, especially if you have chronic hypothyroid symptoms. And it doesn't matter if you've on meds, not on meds, TSH normal, not normal. Something's not right. You need to keep searching until you find somebody to help you with that. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Dr. Eric Balkavage, I love talking to you. See, I hope everyone listening is like, I see why you've been friends for a long time. Yeah. You know your stuff. Where can people find you? My website is rejuvagencenter.com. So, I mean, you can go there if anybody's got questions or they're like, hey, I think I might want to ha- ask them a question or I might want to work with them. You can go there. They can schedule a discovery call. And I do those over my lunch break because I have so much free time. <laughs> I do that over <laughs> my lunch break. 
And so I do a couple of those every day. And so I give, I can help people with answers. And then if we can find out if they do want to work with me, we can see if we resonate with each other and a paid appointment makes sense. Okay. If they want to learn more about how I talk about thyroid physiology, obviously Thyroid Answers podcast is the podcast I do yep. and answer a lot of these things. And then I guess as a non-social media person, I have come to Instagram as my primary platform yes. where I post stuff out. And so you can go to Dr. Balcavage or Dr. Eric Balcavage on Instagram. And I usually do probably three to five posts on something that's educational on thyroid physiology, or at least pissing somebody off about thyroid physiology every week. I find it really helpful. So we're just going to go with that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so much. It means a lot to me. I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I was thrilled to, to have the conversation. I know I can uh, dominate a conversation, but good. I get a little passionate about what we're talking about. As you should, as you should. It's a hot topic. People need to know. Yeah. So thank you. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.